hope that you are um, growing in this in this series. Uh, this book is wonderful, and uh, as in just an intro, I, I want to just kind of remind ourselves with with verse three, where this all starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so I hope that you are just marveling at God's amazing grace, at the blessings he poured out on us. I hope you've been reading Ephesians and you're seeing that God's love and mercy and grace, everything that he's given to us through Jesus Christ is magnificent and to be treasured and to be thought upon moment by moment as we live our lives. I hope you're engaged in the truths of this book. There's a variety of application we can now practice since we've been chosen by God to be holy and blameless. And we have, in love, been predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is just awesome. It's magnificent. It's life-changing if we choose to take this treasure into our hearts, meditate on it, and focus on it. And so today I want to finish up this section, verses 3 through 14, where we've been the last few weeks. And I want to look at our adoption as sons, our redemption in Christ, and the assurance that we have through the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk on adoption. It's no, it's no secret that I love adoption. If you take a look at our family, it won't take you long to figure something out that, yes, well, we have adopted. And I love the adoption of the fatherless and motherless into families. I love when people open their homes, even for short-term adoption and foster care. And breathe Christ into a child for a moment of time, whatever that moment may be. God has called us to this, and it is a picture of what God has done for us. So we, as God's people, should be heavily involved in this. But that's not really what I want to talk about today. Today is not a go out and adopt. Although I will say this, and I've said this every time I've talked on this. The, a scary thing that I have, and God is sovereign, and it didn't happen, but sometimes I think, and I actually have heard Stephen Curtis Chapman say this uh, also, as he has adopted so many different children, is what if I miss this? What if when the Holy Spirit was prompting Karen and I to adopt, we said, ah, that's for someone else? Would that have been severe disobedience? In hindsight, I'm going to say, yeah, because it's been such a blessing. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, don't be so quick as to be ones who say, that can never be me. Maybe I shouldn't do that, or that's for someone else. I don't know your lives and your families. All I'm asking is, if God is giving you a tender heart towards this or moving you, don't be quick to say no. Some of us aren't called for this, but we all as a church as a body of believers, as individual Christians who are saved by the grace of God, who have been adopted by the Father, we need to love adoption. It should be uh, a joy in our heart. It should be a principle that we live by. And so why do I love it so much? It's a visual picture of the gospel right before our very eyes. And our passage shows us that God chose a people to be holy and blameless we talked about that last week. And in love, God chose a people for sonship to join his family. See, God's people are part of the family of God. And this is an amazing, 
amazing blessing. And it's such a privilege. God is our Father. We are His children, which makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Unbreakable brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we see here in our passage what adoption is, what it means to be adopted. The word used for adoption means to place a son. And since we are chosen to be the children of God, that means we have all the rights and privileges that belong to the father's children. So Katie is our daughter. Not by birth. But it would only take you but a moment to be in our home and you would see that Katie is a first brook. She has all the blessings of the Firstbrook family and all the bummers <laughs> of the Firstbrook family. But you will see she has the full love of her mother and father in the exact same way that my birth children have the love of their father and of their mother. Actually, truth be told, I think Kelsey and Emily would probably think I'm easier on Katie. <laughs> Might be true. Now, I actually, though, just, just for free, I think every youngest, every older child always says, you're so easy on the younger child. Well, there's, there's a point to that because the older child paves the way, you know what I mean? It's like, no, you can't do that. And then you kind of go, oh, I was harsh to number one. Number two, can I do that? Yeah, go ahead, get your ear pierced to four. We don't care. <laughs> what? And then the older dog, oh, cause all kinds of trouble. You're laughing, so I think I'm not alone. What's the point? Katie is 100% first brook. She has our goofy sense of humor. She knows our inside jokes. She has a lot of her mother's silliness. <laughs> it's my silliness. But adoption is wonderful. And Paul uses the word adoption five times in the New Testament. If you want to jot it down, Romans 8, verse 15 and 23. In Romans 9, verse 4. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, our passage today, Ephesians 1, verse 5. But I want to look at Romans 8, 15, if you want to turn there. In Romans 8, verse 15, it says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, the heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I also quote 1 John 3 very often. One of my favorite verses. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed or given to us that we should be called the children of God. We are his children. He is our Father. I can't help but think of the love I have for my children especially when they were young. This used to drive Karen crazy but I just wanted to be with them. I'm a big kid, and a lot of you know that. I love to play. And so like when we had the baby, I'm like, oh, we get to play with the baby. Like I couldn't wait for like just them to grow and play. But 
you know, I'd come home from work. I'm like, where's the baby? Asleep. <sighs> I'm going to go check to see if the baby's asleep. Now all the moms in here are going, what are you doing? Don't do that. But I'd go in there and then I'd start poking and, Hey, she's awake. All right, let's play. All right, Dad. You know, we do that. There is a love that a father and a mother have. I can't help but think that when he says, we cry out to God as Abba, Father, that God has the same pleasure in us. That he says, come, spend time with me. Come, be my child. Let me be your dad. Because that's the word that's used, Abba, Father. And you see, we're heirs with Christ. Let it sink in. If we are an heir with Christ, that means in Christ, we are God's child, a joint heir with Christ. So when my parents go home to be with the Lord, I will be joint heirs with my brother Michael and my sister Allison for my parents' estate. When we go home to be with the Lord or when he returns, we who are God's children will be joint heirs with Christ. And we are today, but have we received that inheritance yet? No. So we eagerly await for all this, and then we're heirs with Christ. Amazing. I could be as bold to say that Jesus Christ, in the miraculous, and let this sink in, and I, don't ask me any questions. Go to Steve and ask questions on this um, later. Go to, or Jeff, go to, or Ted. Go to another elder on this one. But Christ is like our brother. God the Son is the heir, right? And we are joint heirs with Christ. How does that work? Again, let's embrace and love the mystery. But it's amazing that we are joint heirs with Christ. And then Abba, Father. Do you know that that is the same word Christ called out to the Father while he was in the garden seeking strength to endure the cross? If any of you ever cried out to your parents, maybe you remember, maybe they're with the Lord or kids who are in here. Do you ever cry out in agony? Dad, help! Mom, help! That heartfelt, soul-wrenching cry. And sometimes it's not only that, but sometimes it's a cry for love or a cry with love. I, they don't do it anymore as they get older. But man, I used to come home from work, Dad! Now the dog greets me. But, but when they're little, daddy, they run and boom, jump, and you better be ready. That's probably why my back hurts. It's from the kids jumping in. We have that with God. Run to God. That's what the relationship that adoption brings us with God the Father. Why did God do this? It says it was according to the purpose of his will. He wanted to. This is what God wanted to do. It was his purpose, and it was done to bring praise to him for his glorious grace. We have been blessed with adoption, and we praise God that we are his children. If you could put the screen down, Katie. I want to show you someone. This is someone that I've introduced to you before. A few years back, many of you weren't part of our church at that time or fellowshipping with you, some uh, with us together, some of you were. But uh, I want to introduce you to someone we've been praying for for a long time. 
This is Austin. Austin is now eight years old. And he arrived at New Day Foster Home where, where quite a few uh, women in our church have ministered before. And they got to meet Austin. And then back in August of 2013, he arrived at New Day Foster Home. He was six years old at the time, but he was so severely malnourished that he looked smaller than even a malnourished toddler. He was weak and small, and he's six years old there, and he's had six years of neglect. You want to go to the next one? He's doing a little better. Karen, when was this one? Last month. And then next, he's getting therapy. Learning to walk. You can go to the next one. Why is that special? Well, for a lot of reasons. That picture is the first time that he interacted with someone and said more. Where there was a back and a forth for love. Play and affection. We're so blessed, we don't even grasp that. More fun, please, he's saying. And I show you this not so much as a picture of adoption, since he's not yet adopted, but we're hearing that I think the paperwork is going through. Let's pray for a godly family who will show him Jesus Christ, who will take him in. I show this not so much as a picture of adoption, but to show you a picture of redemption. And I've said this before as we introduced him. You can take it down. Redemption is so intertwined with adoption. Look at verse 7 in our text. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. We'll stop right there. Redemption fixes what has been broken. And you see a young child like Austin who was neglected, didn't receive affection, didn't have the back and forth that we have with our children where we make them laugh and play peekaboo and so big. All those important developments are so important. He didn't have that, but just a few weeks ago, he asked for more fun. That's a picture of redemption. What was broken is being fixed. And we praise God for people who do that type of work. But let's take it to our own lives. We were dead in our sins, but made alive in Christ. Were we broken? Absolutely. Could we fix ourselves? No chance. But in him, we have redemption. Redemption speaks of a ransom being paid, being set free. It's the picture of deliverance and rescue. What was cursed and broken is now whole in Christ. From being captive to being free, from being blind to now seeing, 
from being lost to being found in Christ, from death to life, condemned to holy and blameless. We are forgiven from tremendous debt of sin to riches and grace, grace lavished upon us. For a while, Dave Ramsey was on the radio. I don't know if he still is or not. I don't commute at the same time anymore, which I'm thankful for. But they used to have Debt-Free Friday. And they would call into the radio. And Dave would say, hey, tell me your story. Well, I had $100,000 in student loans, and my credit card was you know, 10000 and uh, I had car loans. And Well, where are you today? Well, here's what I did, and I paid down... And, well, where are you today? I'm debt-free. And Dave would say, are you ready to give the yell? Yeah, let me get my wife. And they'd get on the phone. I'm debt-free! And I'd sit there and go, yeah, good for you. Salvation. In Christ, debt-free. Forgiven, holy, and blameless, redeemed. In him we have redemption. I don't know about you, that is worth being excited about. Look at us. We were orphans. We were lost. We were without understanding. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm no longer an orphan. I'm adopted by the Father. I'm his child with the full privileges of being a child of God. I was lost, now I'm found. We sing that, right? Amazing grace. I'm not found... Well, I am found in Christ, not with the righteousness of my own doing, but we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. From ignorance, I can do this myself. I don't need God. I'm good enough. I have what it takes. I am the master of my fate. To now, fleeing from that ignorance and understanding. We now have understanding. Look at verses 8 and 9. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And then look at this. In all wisdom and insight, God made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. From ignorance to now knowing the mystery of his will. We know his purpose and purposes. We know God's plan. And his purpose and his plan from eternity past was all centered in Jesus Christ. Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is our redeemer. Christ is the center of all. Christ is the unifier of all things. Christ is our redeemer. He is the plan. You ever have husbands, your wives say, what's the plan? I don't know. What's the plan? You look back at them. I don't know. What's the plan? I don't have a plan. What are we doing today? I don't know. God never does that. He had a plan. And he has a plan. And he is working that plan perfectly. What does that do for us? I can tell you one thing. We don't have to be discontent. Because it's in the plan. Why is this happening to me? Whether it's the most joyful, undeserved grace, or the hardest trial. Why is this happening to me? It's in the plan. And the plan is Christ-centered. Boy, the garden. You see, since Genesis 3.15, Christ has been the plan. 
Actually, before all eternity, but we don't want to get too, you know, it can make your mind and your head spin. But right, we were chosen when? Before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless. And it says in Christ, Christ is the plan. Christ will fix everything. In Christ, we move from death to life. So redemption is awesome. When we think of redemption, it's amazing. Because look, when Adam sinned, it was a whole lot worse, and I'm not, I think it's important to have visuals for our children, but it was a whole lot worse than someone sitting at a tree with the snake in the tree and eating of the fruit. And we color it, and that's what we learn, and that's fine. But it was an absolute tragedy when sin entered into this world. Adam made a choice. And he chose sin. And now, guess what? We're sons of Adam. Right? Romans. And we're born into sin. It's set. A kid is born, and they don't sit there and go, hmm, I wonder if I'll be a sinner or not. I talked about the little kids, how I'd go in there and wake them up. You ever seen the anger level of a kid who's angry, a baby? I think if you can measure it, they'd kill you. It's wrath. Ah, they just turn red. I don't know if any of you have ever had a kid who like screams so much they practically almost passed out. <laughs> anger. Who choose who who teaches anyone to have that kind of anger? It's in our nature. We're born that way. We are born into sin. The curse of Adam and Eve is upon us. When they sinned, curse and death entered into this world. And now Romans 8 even says, all creation groans, awaiting what? Redemption. Awaiting the final redemption. And here's what's awesome. God is the redeemer of all of history. Christ is the center of all of history. God has a plan, and his plan is Christ, our Redeemer. The story of Adam did not end in separation of them just getting kicked out of the garden and say, all right, that's fine, you're kicked out of here, this great place, this time of fellowship with me where we'll walk together, but nope, you're out now. It didn't end there. He said, no, I have a plan. I'm going to fix this. The plan was Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our sacrifice, Christ is the victor over the devil. Christ is the victory over sin. Christ is the victory over death. And there is no other name in heaven or on earth that brings salvation and redemption. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And we know that he is coming again where he will reign and we will by grace reign with him. And he is fixing things. And he is our redeemer. Turn to Revelation 21. Have to read it. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I say that a lot, don't I? I have a lot of favorites. But you can't help but love this passage. Look what awaits us. Look at the final redemption when all is made new. It says this, Then I saw, Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Husbands, remember when your wife walked down the aisle? You went, whoa. You said, get down here quick. Say, I do. Let's go. That's my wife. Can't wait for this to be done. Same way, one day we will sit there and like a bride coming out of heaven, we're going to go, whoa, bring that down now, Jesus. We're ready. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Like the garden, remember? God dwelled with Adam and Eve. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Do you see redemption? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things. And he said, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Folks, there's two ways, redemption or permanent death. God is our redeemer. I love redemption. I love that through Christ we see God saying, Behold, I am making a couple things new. All things new. Back in our text, we've seen our adoption as sons. God chose to do that. He predestined us for adoption. He's lavished grace and riches upon us. In verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So how do we know this redemption sticks? How do we know this redemption is true? Our redemption is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. God has given us yet another blessing in this list that Paul has laid out. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, he says this, I have given you, God says this, I am giving you my Holy Spirit who was promised. We don't have time to go there, but do you remember when the disciples were talking with Christ and Christ said, I'm going to send you my spirit? He actually says this, 
I'm giving you something better than even me being next to you right now. I'm going to place my Holy Spirit within you. I think we neglect this. I think we don't really pay attention to this a whole lot. The Spirit indwells every single believer. God indwells. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see more of how this really works in our lives. But God, the Holy Spirit, indwells within us. And he is our guarantee. He is the promised Holy Spirit. See, for God's glory, and God's glory alone, we've been saved. We've been made an inheritance, and also we are joint heirs with Christ. This is what God purposed to do. This was his redemptive plan. This is his will, his perfect will. You see, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Remember a couple weeks ago? We talked about this. No one tells God what to do. That is utter foolishness. It is foolishness to question God's ways. See, God is God, and what God does is for the praise of his glory that we see over and over in this text. It's for his glory. It's for his praise. It's for worship. And so when we heard the word of truth and when we believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be sealed? Simply put, we belong to God. We are his. And the mark is the Holy Spirit. The sealing. We are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. You know what this means? This means we're protected. It means we're preserved. It means we're set apart. We are really secure. At salvation, the Holy Spirit moves into the believer's life. Takes up residence. Romans 8, verse 9 says, He indwells the believer. Romans 8 says this, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And listen to this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. A miracle takes place at, at, at salvation. We're made alive by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, it's called. And we'll wait till we get to Ephesians 2, just a few weeks. But in God, he made us alive. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit takes up residence. He moves in. Romans 8, 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our security. Christian, follower of Christ, chosen of God, predestined for adoption, be secure in your salvation. Be secure. The Holy Spirit, God himself, secures us with himself. So here's what God is saying and doing as he seals us with the Holy Spirit. 
And this can take away so much doubt, can't it? This gives us such security, such assurance. Because we know what a seal is, right? And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal is this. It's an official mark. It's an identifying mark, right? Kings had seals. The king's seal was an official identification. Do you remember when Darius threw Daniel into the lion's den? In Daniel 6, it's, it says this, that they entered, they sealed the entrance to the lion's den. Why? And it says this, so that nothing would change in accordance with what they said with Daniel. When a king would seal something, who had authority to break the king's decree or the king's seal? No one. The king had spoke. Now, Americans, we don't, we don't get kings, do we? We get eight years of a president at the most. So, like, we're like, what, a king? You know? And then we look at, never mind, I won't go there. I'm getting better. Stop. If you would just, I'll give you a hint. You know, I don't quite understand how Great Britain works, but that's okay. But they have a queen, and sometimes a king. I don't get it. But we don't understand it as Americans. It's like, you know, we feel more than free to, you know, put 50 Facebook postings on why we don't like the president. And we're very free to say whatever we want about our leaders and man, we got to vote this guy out, we got to vote this guy in, and we, we can do that. When there were kings, did you have that? Think of Nebuchadnezzar. Did he rule gently? <laughs> no. Could you disobey Nebuchadnezzar and really get away with it? No. Now, God humbled him, didn't he? But until God did that, there was no one who would be able to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar and get away with it. And he seemed to be quick to throw someone in the fire or chop their head off. Scripture shows us this. You see, a king was absolute authority. And when a king sealed something with wax and said, this is what I am saying, it became law not to be broken. Seals are not broken. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. So God is saying, you are my child and I am sealing you with all my authority with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is God's mark or God's seal. So then I ask you, can that seal be undone? Can you lose your salvation? No. This is what's awesome about this passage. God chose, God predestined, God sent Christ, God redeemed, God secures cannot be undone because he says, I am God, you are mine. Other scriptures back this up. He is securing us as his own. In Christ, as we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are safe. In Romans 8, nothing, 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 nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. So when we're sealed, here's what God is saying to us. He's saying, in Christ, you, Ron, you belong to me. You are mine. You are a citizen in my kingdom. You are my child. You are a member of my family. You're mine. Sealing says that we are blessed in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Sealing says, I chose you before there was time to be holy and blameless before me. Sealing by the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to use you. Don't let your past stop you from serving me. He says, I died for that. There is nothing in your past keeping you from effective ministry because you are set and secure in the Holy Spirit. You were saved for a purpose. This is awesome. And if you need scriptural proof, just look at Paul, the writer of this. A persecutor of the church involved in the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr in the New Testament. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. Would you say that Paul had a great ministry to the church? Yes. We're reading the letter that he wrote inspired by God. Your past, don't ever let anyone blame you and say you're not effective for Christ. You're sealed in the spirit. And so you are holy and blameless before God. You are set apart. You are mine. Sealing says that you are adopted as my child. That adoption will not be broken. It will not be undone. You are forever my child. I am your dad. That's what God says. And he says, I proved it by giving you myself. Myself on the cross, myself as the Holy Spirit. Sealing says, God is fixing what sin broke. Sealing says, I'm making all things new. I'm redeeming your life from the pit. Sealing says, you're forgiven. Sealing says, that I'm lavishing the riches of my grace upon you. Any of you had anything ever really lavished upon you? Here, take more, take more, take more, take more, take more. Oh, no, no, I've had enough. No, I insist. More, 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 more. God lavishes his grace upon us. He says, more, 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 more. This is yours. I'm pouring it out to you. Sealing says we have an inheritance waiting for us. It's yours. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Sealing says, don't doubt my blessings. They are yours in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ. And the proof, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the down payment until we take hold of all of this. Until we take possession. And we're waiting for that. Amen? It's coming. But we experience it now also, don't we? But where is it made complete? At his return or when he calls us home. And oh, Lord, come quickly. We wait for that day. So to go back and to close this up, remember that, yeah, there's huge doctrine in here. There is a lot of theology, but this is a worship passage. Because all that God has done says it's to the praise of his glory. For his glory, he saved us. For his glory, he chose us to be holy and blameless. For his glory, he adopted us. For his glory, he redeemed us. For his glory, he's made us an inheritance and given us an inheritance. For his glory, he's giving us and given us, excuse me, he has given us 
the Holy Spirit of promise. For his glory, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It's the down payment. This is not like a guarantee when you buy a GoPro at Best Buy and you spend the extra $100, right, for the extra coverage and you hope it works, you hope you don't have to use it. No, this is like a down payment. When you make your down payment on the home, right, you're on the hook. You're saying, okay, I'm buying this house, here's the down payment. And you feel like an owner, don't you? But you probably only like, what, 10%, depending on how things go? But then you pay it off. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's like a down payment. God says, you're mine. Here's the down payment, the Holy Spirit. And we could go further in, and we'll get to a whole lot more of what that really means. How we live. Remember, our position is what we're talking about in the first three chapters. And our practice is chapters four, five, and six. I want to close this way, and then we'll sing a song. Exalting Christ as our Redeemer. I wrote down, would you close your eyes and allow me to read this passage just as a whole? If you're not an eye closer, that's fine. But would you focus in? I just want to read this text. And why don't we stand together to honor God's word? This is such a God-exalting passage. It's all about him. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We just thank you for your word. But Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, it is amazing that you have chosen to bless us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Lord, we thank you that you've chosen for us to be holy and blameless in Christ. Father, we thank you that your plan was to adopt us and make us your children. Father, we thank you that you've taken our broken, sinful, sin-saturated, dead lives and you have redeemed us and given us life. You have made us new. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things are new. Father, we thank you that each one of us can sit here and marvel that we are part of your eternal plan of redemption. You knew us when you planned this. Father, thank you for Christ, that he is the center of all of this, our Savior, our sacrifice, our Lord. And so, Father, we thank you that as we wait for all this to be made complete, Lord, as we wait, knowing that he who began a good work in us will complete it and continue to work until the day of Christ, Father, we know we are assured of all this because you have given us the Holy Spirit. You are amazing. You are so good. We thank you and we praise you for your magnificent grace through Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.